Well, good morning. He is risen. Happy Easter for those of you who are here. We are glad that you are with us this morning. It's been a, just an awesome morning. Thank, you can just thank the worship team. They've been working hard, and they've just done a really good job. Tech team, too. <coughs> as, we, as we dive into this morning, um, for those of you who don't know me and you're, you're our guests here, we're glad you're here this morning. My name is Greg Harris. I'm a senior pastor here at Olive Branch, <coughs> and I'm a little under the weather, so I might be coughing and sputtering a little bit, but we will make it through. Uh, we're going to be talking this morning about the resurrection, obviously. It's Easter. It's the time in which we celebrate the, the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. But I want to go beyond that. I want to get into what does it mean for us? How does it impact our lives? What should it tell us about how we live and the opportunity that it's giving to us? And so we're looking at a concept called inheritance. Now, I know very little about inheritance at this point. My, my grandmother, who's probably the, the final recipient of everybody's stuff in my family, uh, she died this summer, and um, she, uh, she had uh, her own concept of how you do an inheritance. Um, she, she actually grew up in the 1930s and 40s, and uh, in fact, when my daughter was little, uh, one of the gifts that I, I have, and I'm, I'm glad I have it, was um, my daughter was going through a unit on the Great Depression. And so I was like, hey, let's go ask my grandma, you know, your, your great-grandma about what life was like growing up under the Great Depression. She'll give us some good stories. We'll record it. It'll be great. And so I took my iPad with me. We recorded the stories, and my daughter jumps right in. She's like, grandma, grandma, I just want to know, what was it like growing up in the Great Depression? And, um, and my grandma goes, the Great Depression? She's like, yeah. We didn't know there was a Great Depression. It was always a Great Depression for my family. She was just one of those poor families living on the wrong side of the tracks. And so that translated into something into her life. It didn't matter what it was. It could have been a, a, a milk carton top. It could have been a, an old milk, carton, milk jug. It could have been literally a Rice, Krispies, um, a Rice Krispies box top from the 1950s. If it came into her house, it never again saw the light of day. Does anybody have anybody like that who grew up in that time period? They just keep everything. And they just, today we call them hoarders. I used to think, I didn't know it was a disease, but now I realize what it is. Um, but a lot of the people who grew up in that time period, they, they keep everything. And they're like, you can fix it or you can use something for it. And so junk drawers was every drawer. Everything had something in it. And my grandmother was one of those people you'd find um, m magazines from the 1930s. My, she had inherited all of her sister's stuff. And so there was like little figurines of dogs and weird things. And you're just like, this is like creepy. And then she, she, got, she would buy the fads. So the big fad in the 1980s when we were all kids was the Cabbage Patch dolls. Remember those things? And you know, they've come back with the original ones were kind of like interesting, big chubby cheeks, big bright eyes. And she wouldn't open them so we could play with it. She just put it up in the box, staring out on top. And you'd be going to sleep in one of the rooms and it'd be sitting there staring at you. And you're like... This is creepy, Grandma. Can you get rid of it? You know, and, and inevitably, her idea of inheritance was if you showed up at the house, she would, it didn't matter if you were part of the family or not for her. She, if you showed up at the house, she said, if you see anything you want, just take it home. And literally, you, that's, uh, seriously, you didn't touch anything. If you walked up to a cabinet and you examined one thing, she's like, you want it? You, here, I'll get you a bag. And she's like, it was like a, a ridiculous store. And, and so... She always tried to pawn off my aunt's like spiritual music songs and stuff because she was like a traveling evangelist in the AG church. And so she'd written all this music, but it was all scratched out. And 
and just written out, but none of it had any music with it. And she's like, you want them? You can sing. I'm like, I don't know how the songs go. It's not like this stuff was famous, but always. You went to my grandma's house, you left with something. So a clandestine group in my family began to form. We'd secretly keep talk to each other and say, okay, when grandma offers you something, you take it, and then we will make sure it disappears forever. You know, just kind of let's help her out, make sure things are okay. The only great thing I got out of the whole, out of all of it was in, up in her closet, hidden in the back corner. Um, one day, finally, I was like, okay, Grandma, I'll look. And I rummaged around and found my grandfather's uh, World War II uniform. And I went, mine. You know, that was the, I grabbed that. It's, it's in the sealed, like, um, plastic case and stuff so that it doesn't, doesn't fall apart. But that's, that's the extent, other than those conversations, of what I received as an inheritance from all that stuff. And that's okay, and, and that's kind of where my grandmother was at. I would have loved if she had tons of money, but that's not how it worked out. Hey, you want some money? Sure, Grandma. Uh, that, that would have been great. But the reality was that um, that's not where we were. But God is not like my grandma in that he has a great inheritance. And while all the things I may receive may fade and fall apart eventually or weren't worth anything, God doesn't give out junk. And God doesn't give out just stuff he's collected over the years. God has an inheritance that he wants to give to everyone, that he is calling to the world to receive through the resurrection. In fact, we get this in a small little section. I want to do a bit of a Bible study with you today. And so if you've got a Bible, grab one. We're going to open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, that's cool. We're, we provide them. They're under the seats in front of you or under you. And you can pull it out, and you'll actually find 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 on page 1014. And um, if you're looking for Peter, you go to the back of the Bible, you'll hit that book, Revelation, or the maps. Just go left. And otherwise, if you're in like other names like James or Hebrews or weird things like Ephesians, go right. You'll you'll run into 1 Peter. Now, Peter wrote this. As a letter to the, uh, to, a, to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to encourage elders, and he's writing to encourage leadership and people to say, hey, this is the faith that I received. This is how I knew Jesus, and these are the experiences I had with Jesus, and I want to pass these on to you. And as he begins to unload this stuff, it begins to impact how we live and how we view the church. But he starts right at the beginning with a simple blessing to God. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so Peter begins with this, let's, let's just praise God because he's, he's given us this great mercy and, that this, and what he's given us is this new life and this new hope and in this new life and this new hope, it comes through Easter. It comes through the resurrection. It comes through what occurred on Sunday morning roughly 2,000 years ago. That when Jesus rose from the dead, God was not just simply doing something to get our attention. He was giving away a promise. He was giving away something new called rebirth or a new inheritance. In fact, through the resurrection, we get this idea of a new life and a new hope. And I think this is important, especially for modern Americans. I just got back from Thailand, okay? Thailand was a really fascinating place. I'm still trying to figure out how to encapsulate our experience of Thailand 
But um, everybody was like, oh, we tell them we're going to Chiang Mai. And they're like, oh, Chiang Mai, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, it's awesome. I picked up a book on my way before we went to Chiang Mai, and I was just kind of looking at what, what should we go see in Chiang Mai. And it said, of all the months not to travel to Chiang Mai, March is the one you don't want. And we're like, ah, oh, great. We went in the worst time. It was iron, just skies. It smelled like California on fire. You know, when we have our forest fires, every morning you'd wake up and smell like that because they burn their fields. There was a giant hill, a beautiful like mountain with a, like all the stuff on it, about as far away as our foothills are. You couldn't see it because it was just, just pure smog and just ugliness. And, and it had its beautiful parts to it. But when it's like that, you, you look down instead of up. And so then you see all the trash and you see all the stuff. And so where I was expecting beauty, I got disappointed. Then we rode into California Guys, do we understand where we live? I mean, in El Cerrito here, it, it's, got, it's clean. It's got these beautiful green hills and mountains all around us. The sky is blue. The clouds are out. The sun is gorgeous. It's 70 degrees. I mean, other than San Diego, this is paradise, right? Sometime of the year. <laughs> Give it a few months and it'll be brown again and all that stuff. But the reality is that, guys, we live in a great location. And I bet, and I can almost guarantee many of you in this room have, some, have a pretty good life. I mean, you got, you got your cars, you got your kids, you got your house. Maybe you've raised your kids and they're doing good and they've got their careers. You're retired, you're doing well, you're not, you're not hurting for anything. You get to travel a little bit. Hey, you're an American. You've got freedom of speech. You've got rights that no other countries have. You've got a pretty good life. And that's awesome. And maybe you're at church today, not because you're seeking something to make your life better. Maybe it's because, yeah, you know, hey, it's good to be at church. And so it's part of being the good life. Or you're here today because, you know, it's, it's right to be at church or because somebody invited you to church and you're like, well, I, I got I to gotta go. Mom wants me here or my wife wants me here. But hear me, I, I get that we've got a good life. But the Bible talks about the good life in a different way. You know, you may have a good life. You may have all the things, all your ducks in a row and all that stuff. But my question is, do you have a hope? with your good life. Because let's be honest, if you survey the world of who the happiest people are and where the people feel the best about life, they wind up landing in one location. The place was called Brussels. Happiest people and all the great stuff happens in Brussels, apparently. And yet, what did we find out in Brussels this week? The guy, the good life can be interrupted by headlines, disease, or good old OLD, age, right? The good life is awesome. It's great while it's good, but it's not guaranteed to be good forever. There is a point at which hope needs to be there because if all you've got is a good life with nothing beyond it, you don't have anything to hope for. And as the good life slips away, you're going to be in a situation that's far more desperate than you ever imagined. Because the good life can be gone with one simple back injury, one small car accident, one bad choice by your children. All that hard work of their sports and their education is flushed down the toilet with one simple, one simple offer of a drug, one simple directional change of a career, and it doesn't pan out. Guys, we are so in a position of a good life that we forget that it's going to end. And I'm here to remind us the Bible cares about the end. It cares about that good life and the hope that's associated with it. Some of you, you're not even there. You're like, look, a long time ago, the good life stopped. You're, you're really at that place where you're hoping, you know, can I get a reset? 
Can I, can I find the Nintendo system reset button and just press it so life can start over and I can begin the journey again? Because that marriage is falling apart or those kids are starting to act in a way that you never thought you could ever imagine or perhaps maybe your work isn't going the way that you thought or that disease has hit you or that headline has hit you or that age has hit you. And the bottom line is you know, hey, somewhere back there, I wish I could have gone a different direction. That's where we're at. Some of us, are, we need that reset. But here's what he says. I want you to hear it again. What does he say? According to his great mercy, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he has caused us to be born again, to have a rebirth, to have a start, a new start, and a living hope. This restart isn't pressing restart like on, like on, a, like on a Mario game, okay? Everybody, I'm using that because I think everybody remembers playing Super Mario Brothers, at least that is near my age, Right? And when you hit reset, Mario started at the beginning and you rolled through it again and you had every chance to die at that first stinking Goomba one more time. But the bottom line is, as you travel forward, in this case, it's not like that. It's not a reset so you can mess everything up again. It's a new life with a future hope. It's a new life with a hope that is living. It's a new life. Yeah, you're going to mess up. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be perfect, but the good life is still to come. No matter how good it is now, the good life is still to come. That's the hope that we have. Not to lay it in the things of today that can be taken by headlines, that can be taken by disease, that can take taken by age, but to lay it into a future that is incorruptible, as Peter will say. You see, it's the difference is, is between a real guarantee and a Disneyland hope. You say, what's a Disneyland hope, Greg? Well, how, how many were born and raised in, in SoCal? Raise your hand real quick. All right. If you're born and raised in SoCal, it's a likely chance that, that were, there was a summer in your childhood that your parents giddily told you, guess what we're doing this summer? We're going to Disneyland. Anybody had that one? And it's like, oh, can you remember the night before you went? You're just like, you're like on sugar high. You're like, I can't sleep. We're going to Disneyland. And I remember I'd be like rolling in my bed. I couldn't sleep. I'd be so excited. Finally, you fall asleep and you had the dreams. At least I had the dreams. You know, the, you know, the dreams where you're like in the parking lot. And it's the infinite parking lot. It just never stops. You never get to the turnstile. Anybody else had that one? That's all. Or you're standing in line and everybody's checking in and you just can't check in. You just never get there. Or you're running around. You actually made it in Disneyland, but there's no ride that's ever open. And you're just kind of running in a circle. It's just like the, that's how my mind worked. It was weird. You're never going to make it. It was torturous as a child. You're like, we're never getting in. You know, that kind of a thing. You'd wake up. Oh, it was a nightmare. I hate to tell you nightmares come, become realities in my family. My son Jonathan was turning three, and um, we, me and my wife, we had passes back when they were affordable. I'm not bitter. Uh, and uh, so we each had uh, the pass where we were taking the kids to Disneyland occasionally, and we're like, okay, for Jonathan's birthday, he's three. The magic is the max at that age point. You know, he's, he's just about three, so we can get him in still without saying he's two. He is two. So we take him in, we take him and his cousin, and we show up, and we're like, park the car, and we're going to Disneyland. The kids are like, Disneyland, Disneyland. They're all excited. Sometimes they're like, oh, what? You know, and then they're three, but we're, we're moving toward the line. We get in line. We checked everything. We, everything checked out. We walk up. I hand the pass. And I'm expecting to hear the, you know, that sound as you go through. Um, and instead, they take it, and I get, boy, oh, try that again. No, what, what's going on? She's like, oh, it's a blackout date. You can't come in. I'm like, excuse me? 
Now, I know it wasn't a blackout date. 75 other people stood at the info counter and said it wasn't a blackout date. We all got it wrong. But apparently it was a blackout date. And so after all this argument, and I get a little ferocious when, when my kids in Steg, I got Jonathan sitting there going, where are we going to Disneyland? In other words, that's translated in my head, why are you such a bad dad? You know, that's... Uh, and I'm just going like, oh, it's the nightmare. It's real. It's happening. And my point in all this is that God doesn't give a Disneyland hope. Even when you think it's a guarantee for a human, we still miss something. God doesn't miss anything. He knows there's no blackout date. With this inheritance, which he planned to give you, it's a guarantee. It's not some wish fulfillment hope. God knows it all. He set it up. And if he said he's going to do it, he does it perfectly every single time. It's a guarantee. And I want you to hear that because I don't want you to think that when I'm, when I'm talking about a, an inheritance that God's promised you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it's some kind of like maybe this will happen. No, Jesus rose from the dead, which guaranteed then that you and I receive an inheritance if we will receive Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection. The, this resurrection guarantees this best kind of inheritance. It is the best inheritance. See, that information that I got and those recordings are a great inheritance, but one day all it takes is some kind of disaster and those are gone. That World War II uniform, all it takes is for it to be opened up and put out to actually look at and it disintegrates. These things fade and they fail, but Peter wants to make it clear. The inheritance does not. It is an everlasting inheritance. Notice how he does this, verse 4. He says, to you, or he says, you're born again to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's imperishable. It doesn't have an expiration date on it. You're not going to like pull it off the shelf and go like, oh man, missed heaven by three weeks two hour, whatever. It's not going to be defiled. Heaven doesn't have sin in it. Suddenly we're not going to get up there and go like, oh, you got here, man, this place is a mess. No, it's going to be filled with sinners saved by Christ. But there's going to be no sin because it's going to have been taken care of. And it's finally going to be forever. It's not going to fade. It's not going to fail. And the reason we can say this is because Jesus has risen from the dead. You say, well, why, how is this connected? The Bible puts it this way. If Christ has been risen from the dead, then you're guaranteed too if you've trusted in Christ to be risen as well. In fact, Paul puts it this way. He says later in his conversation about a resurrection, and Paul was this rebel against the church who became the, one of the major evangelists of the church because he saw the resurrected Jesus. He said, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, our bodies now, they die, they get corrupted, they get blown up by headlines, disease, or OLD, but that's what occurs to us now. But once that corruption's over and it's risen, it's imperishable. It doesn't fade. It doesn't break down. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. Some of you are like, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? I want to reference our website. A couple weeks ago, we preached a message on the evidence of that resurrection, and I give you that to, to take a look at if, you, if you're curious. But in a historically real event, that Jesus rose from the dead gives you and I the promise that we too will be risen from the dead, no matter who we are, either to eternal life and this inheritance we're speaking of, or to eternal death. 
in this case, what is raised is imperishable. And if you have eternal life where you're not corrupted, you enter into heaven. Heaven, guys, isn't what you think it is. It's gotten a really bad press in the last few years, decades. I mean, if you think heaven is this boring place you can sit around, float on clouds, and be an angel, bling, 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 waiting for the bell to ring so you can get your wings, you got the wrong heaven. That's not the Bible's heaven. If you think somehow it's this ethereal, like floating around staring at God, whoo, you got the wrong heaven. From what I examine in the scriptures, it calls it the new heavens and the new earth. As we are resurrected from this body to a new body that is like this one, there's a one-to-one correspondence going on here. It is this world resurrected without sin, death, or corruption. My friends, heaven doesn't get dull. It doesn't tarnish. It doesn't wind up being a mess because of sin. Now, heaven is perfect. It's beautiful. It's exciting. Why? Because guess what? God is there, and one, pleasure's at his right hand. Two, he's made us like him which means the beauties and the wonders that you and I get to enjoy now are not going to be gone then. You think science is going to vanish? Your curiosity is going to be over because you got resurrected? No. (laughs) There's a whole new earth to go explore. There'll be plenty of exploration to do. There'll be plenty of scientific endeavor to do. You think we're going to stop wanting to write music to God or write music about the wonder of the world? You think we're going to want to stop writing stories, making movies, exploring and playing sports against each other and enjoying what God has made us to be? He didn't just leave you as a spirit floating in the heavens. He gave you a new body so that we could experience the reality of heaven. It's not going to get boring. It's not going to get corrupted. It's not going to fade. Boredom is not a piece of heaven. And so, so many people were unwilling to receive the inheritance because they think, well, big deal, this is, this is a good life. No, it's better than this. The good life is coming. It's a real hope. No matter how good it gets here, it'll never equate because the sin here will always mess it up. The headlines, the disease, and the OLD will always mess it up. But none of those things exist in that eternal position, in that eternal state after the resurrection. See, It can't be lost, and that's really what he gets into. He says, it's in heaven for you who who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, you guys are protected. Once you've received this, he protects this investment. He says, I give you this, and I'm going to keep it there. I'm going to keep it in heaven. Nobody can get to it. If somebody gives you you an inheritance of millions and millions of dollars, we all know it, but the government's watching, right? Right? They're just sitting there going, how can we get some of that? Check their taxes. You know what? Let's, let's do a death tax. Oh, let's, let's, they're ready to take half of whatever you, you get. Because they're just waiting. In the, you know who else is waiting in the wings? Lawyers. If you're a lawyer, that's not an offensive thing. You know it's true. <laughs> they're waiting there and they're just going, okay. I, you, oh, you need a lawyer to sign that will off. That'll be $100,000. Thank you. You know, it's just this, this reality of our world that we live in with a legal system. You know who else is watching in the wings? Relatives. Friends. Look, an inheritance is not at all it's chopped up to be because it disappears. Health disappears. All these things can be taken from you. You can have a great hope right now and lay your hope in all kinds of things, your children, you name it. Those things can be taken, but this hope can't. It can never be taken. 
You see, throughout the Christian history, men and women have constantly had this try to be taken from them. They've been locked up. They've been persecuted. They've been tortured. You see what ISIS is doing by burning Christians and beheading them and taking children and marring them. All for what? To try to do what? They think somehow they can stop them from getting their inheritance. You can't take this inheritance. God's protecting it in heaven. Once you receive it, it's yours. It's locked. What he has done for you is final. If you've trusted Christ to bear your sins, if you trusted in his resurrection, that is yours. That inheritance is ready. It can't be taken. It can't be destroyed. It can't be stolen. It also can't be earned. I want you to hear this. He uses the word inheritance for a reason. Who earns an inheritance? Unless you've got a really mean parent, right? He's like, well, you've got to do these four things and then you've earned your inheritance. No. <clears throat> That's a stipulation and a will. Most people, you, you get your inheritance in the ancient world because you were, you were given it. It was out of the desire of the person who had the money. You and I, we can't earn the inheritance from God. And I want you to hear this because you may have been going to church for years. You may just be here for the first time. There are so many people that assume that you got to do all this stuff to make God happy with you and then you get to go to heaven. You know what? I've searched this, this Bible a lot. And, and, and I have yet to find the scripture verse that says you must do this many good things and then you will be in heaven. Even if it did, let's say it said you had to do 1,732 million good things, whatever, to get into heaven. You're like, but you missed it by one. Are you in or are you not? Now, where's that addressed? This is how we think as humans. What if it's two? Five? Come on. That's like, what is it, a percentage? None of that's addressed in the book because they'd be reading it wrong. That's not how it works to enter in, into heaven. It's not about what you do. In fact, if you really want an entrance fee for heaven, I'll, I'll show you what the entrance fee is. It's here in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 27. This is what it says about getting into heaven. It says, nothing unclean will ever enter it. My children are doomed. They never take baths. <laughs> that, that's obviously not what unclean means. Unclean actually means spiritually unclean. And it's talking about not having the right washings, not doing the right prayers, not having the right, um, the right sacrifices. If you don't have all those ducks in a row, there's no access for you. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or abominable. Those are the same words. You want to look up what's an abomination in Scripture? I'll let you go ahead and do that, but I'll give you one real clear one. Anyone who has pride or self-reliance is called an abomination in Scripture. And we all swallowed hard. Because <laughs> who hasn't been self-reliant? Who hasn't been proud? Who hasn't lived in a manner where we've lied about something and lived falsely at some short amount of time? But he says, these are the things that don't get it. Only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they get it. And let me, let me draw this down so that it, it doesn't sound so crazy. Because you're like, oh, that's so narrow of God. How could he only like, da, 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 da. I, I get how we think as Americans. But hold on a second. Imagine with me for a minute. I took my son, Jonathan, and I, and I, I headed out of here. And I went up to the Little League fields down the street. And it wasn't this Sunday. It was a different Sunday. And I walk up, and they've got the teams. The kids are warming up, and I'm like, that, that's a good team. I take my son, Jonathan, and I say, hey, guys, this is my son, Jonathan. He's on your team. The coach walks up to me and says, who are you? Oh, this is my son, Jonathan. He's on your team. Takes out his roster, and I don't see his name on here. Oh, no, no, it doesn't matter. He's a really good player. 
I don't care if he's uh, Jackie Robinson, he's not on the list. No, no, you don't understand. He's a really good kid and a really good player. He's on your team. Did, did you fill out the paperwork on the sign-up day? No. Did you pay the dues to play on this league? No. Did you go to the coaching parent meeting? No. Then he ain't on the team. Why do we get this with Little League, but we don't get it with heaven? Did we get the right washings down? Did we make sure we were signed up on the right list? Did we make sure we got everything God asked for in order to get in? And we go, nah, I'm good enough. I don't care if you're good enough. You're not on the list. That's what it's saying. Nobody has filled everything out save one named Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross is he paid for that entrance fee. He lived perfectly. He lived a clean life, all the right sacrifices, all the right signups, all the right stuff. And then he took the detestable and false things upon himself on the cross and paid for the entrance fee so that you and I could get in. And then he put our names on the list if we were willing to receive his payment. And that's what's going on here. And so the inheritance is offered and it's spelled D-O-N-E, done, not do. Hear me, God's offering an inheritance to everybody on earth, and it's not about us working at it and earning it. It's simply about us receiving it because he's already done it for you. And he showed it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead so that we could receive this new start of life with a great hope a hope that can't be stolen, a hope that doesn't end, and a hope that can't be earned. And it's given to that family. Inheritances are always given to family. And this is the final piece, the final key that I really want us to think about for a second because imagine you didn't know me and I, and I had a big grizzly beard or something and I show up at your house and I'm like, knock, knock, knock. And you're like, hello? I'm like, hi, how you doing? Good. What are you selling? I'm not selling anything. I've been watching your family for two weeks. That's creepy. Yeah, you guys are great. Your kids are wonderful. You two are such a lovely couple. I decided I was moving in. My U-Haul's right here. I'm bringing my stuff. You'd be like, honey, get the shotgun. You know, it's like, you're not going to let me in. You don't know me. We don't let just anybody come live in our home. You don't, you don't give an inheritance away to anybody, unless you're my grandma. You don't give away an inheritance to anybody. You give it to family. You don't let people live in your home unless you have a relationship with them. Heaven's no different. Heaven is God's home. He just doesn't open the doors to anybody. He, he opens them to family. He gives the inheritance to family, and he makes family by us being reborn into his family through trusting Jesus Christ. And he gives us that evidence through the resurrection. All this comes together with this great inheritance because he has risen from the dead to give us all of these things. And you say, well, that's great, Greg, but you know what? As far as I've checked, a lot of Christians continue to die. Some of them have really bad lives. Yes, but they have hope in the eternal one. Yeah, 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 but, but what's God waiting for? You all say that he's coming back and stuff like this, and that's kind of what Peter gets into. He says, hey, this is a hope held for you to be revealed at the last time. And so there's a patience that we need to wait for this. I'll say that's really convenient. Yeah, it is, except for the fact that the answer to why it's convenient is because God is waiting for you. 
Peter actually answers the objection, what's taking God so long? And he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you. And that you, as any of you, have yet to receive this inheritance that he's offering. He's being patient, he's waiting. That you might receive the sacrifice he's given for you, the payment that he's given, he's waiting. So that all should reach repentance. He may be waiting for you right now. And the reason why I know this is because God is merciful. He, he could have judged. In fact, we would expect him to judge. What kind of God doesn't judge people like Hitler, ISIS, me? What kind of God lets me get away with my evil and the harm I've done other people? What kind of God doesn't deal with every single evil in this world? That's not a God of the Bible. And yet, because he'd have to judge all of us, he's so willing to be merciful because he loves us. That he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to bear that punishment that comes with that judgment so that we wouldn't have to bear it. He rose from the dead to give us that new life so we could have access not just to a, a restart, but a restart with an eternal hope that never ends. And you don't earn it. He gives it to you as a gift to just simply be received. Tell you what, I wish the scenario was different at my grandma's house. I wish she'd sat there and a lawyer was sitting in that little double wide and opened up a big scroll of whatever, flopped open a giant piece of paperwork and said, well, actually, you think your grandma and your, your grandpa weren't that good, but actually they were billionaires, they just never told you. You've all inherited millions of dollars. All you got to do is sign on these, these papers to receive it. Now, honestly, there would have been a couple of reactions that could have come from me and my family. One of us could have jumped up and said, this is the biggest joke I've ever heard in my life. I'm out of here. To be honest, some of you may actually be in that place right now. I've told you that God is willing to open the doors of heaven, give it to you for free. He's willing to bear the sins that you've committed on his son, raise him from the dead to give you that eternal life. He's willing to give you a restart with a hope of heaven and you don't do anything but receive it. And some of you guys, you're gonna get up and go, that's a nice Harry Potter story and walk out. And I'm just gonna tell you, I think that'd be foolish. You know the second reaction that we should have? Probably the reaction I would have, to be quite honest, is I'd sit there and go, excuse me, did you just say what I think you said? Because I think you've got the wrong paperwork. My grandparents were not billionaires. This is not the, no, 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 seriously. And what I would do then is I would investigate the facts. If it's that good, you owe it to yourself to investigate the truth. Otherwise, you're claiming you already know it. And you may be missing out on the truth. That's no Harry Potter story. It's as real as a cell phone. It's as real as drinking water. My friends, maybe that's where you're at and you're not ready to just be like where I hope some of you are. Sign me up. I'm ready for that new start. I'm ready for that eternal hope. If that's you, we'll talk to you in a minute. But maybe you're at a place where you're like, you know what, I, I, need some, I need some proof. We have a group called Starting Point that we like to open up. And it's an opportunity for you to gather with other like-minded people who are just asking questions. They need some of the facts before they can make the decision. 
And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to do something this morning. There's an orange card in your seats that Brent had mentioned, and you can just pull one of those out. It should be right there in front of you. And you just pull that out, and here's what you do. You just put your name and a way to contact you, best way to contact you. And then mark starting point or right starting point. There's two boxes in the back, and as we end the day, just walk on and drop it in the back there. We'll get in contact with you. We want to help you make that investigation. Trust me, it's worth it. And I do believe that you're going to find out that this is as true as the sun rising and setting. And that this gift that is given is real and available right now. I'm that confident. And maybe you're not there yet. But you also know that, hey, I'm not guaranteed a chance to go to the class. What do I do? I'm going to ask you while, this, while the band plays to ask God to show you to ask God to reveal it to you, to call you out and prepare your heart to receive an inheritance that is undefiled. It is unbreakable. It is yours if you'll simply receive it.